Heavenly Father, we just uh, lift up Brother Jory here, and uh, we just ask that you speak through him today. Holy Spirit, come in and just cleanse this place out. Anything that's not of you, just burn it up, burn it out of here. I uh, ask for open ears and open eyes and open hearts and open heads, Lord, to receive the message that you have prepared and that you're going to send through Jory, Lord. We thank you. We thank you for his uh, servant heart and his obedience and his willingness to come over here and shepherd uh, the flock, your flock, while Pastor Eric's been away. So we love you, Lord, and we say these things in your name, Jesus' name, amen. 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 How are you guys? Y'all glad to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Right on, right on. Uh, it's going to be a good day. Um, I, let me just tell you a little bit um, about uh, what I do. I, like uh, Brad was saying, I, I pastored in Dumas uh, for <laughs> 17 years. Uh, I, I like the, the statement, what's in Dumas? There's not, there's not a lot. Um, but uh, just recently, within the last couple of years, I, I went back home. I was born and raised in Amarillo. And uh, went back to the church that I grew up in, Trinity Fellowship Church, and went on staff at TFAC. And so I'm just overjoyed to get to go around the country and help pastors. Uh, I've known your pastor, Eric and and Christy, for several years now. Um, Eric comes to one of the coaching groups that we provide. He comes to several of our events and have just really enjoyed getting to know him and Christy over the last several years. I love your pastor. Um, They're great human beings, him and Christy both. And uh, I want to say this. I said this in the first service, I'll I'll say it in every service today. Hey, thank you guys for allowing him to take some time away. I know this has been an extended period of time, but thank you guys for allowing him to have some time to refill his tank. Um, As as Just speaking personally as a senior leader, um, that's a hard thing to do, to be able to disconnect from your church, (laughs) trust several different people to fill the pulpit and kind of do all the things. Um, But I'm proud of him for doing it. I'm grateful to you guys that y'all have been patient and, and afforded him the opportunity to go do that. And so next week he'll be back, right? And so uh, what I want to do this morning is, uh, before I get uh, into the the meat of the message, let me ask you this question uh, to kind of prime your heart. Who are you looking for today? It's not Pastor Eric. He's not here, right? (laughs) Right? Uh, Did you come to church this morning to just do on Sunday morning? Did you come to church because your mama made you? Did you come to church because you're looking to encounter Jesus? I hope that's the case. I I wish I could say that I always come into this context with a pure motive, but sometimes I'm just going through the motions and I have to be reminded, why am I here? What are we doing today? And one of the things I want you to know as we, we jump in this morning is there is someone who is in hot pursuit of you today, and that's the Son of Man. And so that's, that's the title of today's message, it's the Son of Man, and as I'm talking about the Son of Man, I'm going to dig into that a little bit deeper. I think it's important how we participate with Him pursuing us. Uh, I'll give you this illustration. A, a couple of weeks ago, uh, I, was, <clears throat> I was coming into the house, and, and my daughter, my youngest daughter, uh, came to the door in the garage, and she said, hey, Dad, there's a guy going around the neighborhood with a clipboard, and he's going door to door, and I was like, okay, you know the routine. Go shut all the windows, lock the front door, shut it. It's like, do not answer the front door. And so and we, what is our response whenever somebody is pursuing us? Do sometimes we hide? Absolutely. Absolutely, if it's the Vivint guy that's coming to our door again. 
But then a couple of days later, my wife had ordered some things online, some Christmas decorations, because that's the, the season that we're in. And she saw on her phone that everything was out for delivery. So she knew that the UPS guy was looking for her. So she was running and she was making sure the front door was open. All the windows were open. Every now and then she was peeking out and she was ready to present herself and make it easy to be found. Who are you looking for today? Are you making yourself easy to be found by the one who's looking for you? I want to turn over to Matthew chapter 13. I want to, I want to talk about the Son of Man today. I don't know if you've noticed it, but there's this interesting thing that happens in the Gospels. Whenever I got saved, I was, you know, I grew up in church uh, from the time I was seven. I served the Lord, but I rebelled against all that in my teenage years. And I really surrendered my life to, to make Jesus the Lord of everything in me. Whenever I was 18 years old. And whenever I was 18 years old, I was taught by my pastor to read my Bible. And so I, I wanted to, I was serious about following Jesus. And so I wanted to do the thing. And so I, got Bible, I was like, man, I just got lost in all the stuff. And I'm like, what am I doing here? And, and I finally had somebody sit down with me. He's like, you just need to read the Gospels. Just start there. And I opened up to Matthew because that was the first one. Um, and I just started reading Matthew and I fell in love with Jesus. And as I read the Gospels, there's this weird thing that I noticed immediately, and it's, it, it's kind of something I've noticed over the years that I, as I've served him that I want to I kind of dig into today. But did you know that as you read the Gospels, Jesus never refers to himself as the Messiah? Not one time. You know how many times he refers to himself as the Christ? Zero. Same, Messiah and Christ mean the same things. They're synonymous terms. Zero times Jesus refers to himself as a Christ. Now, Jesus didn't deny that he was a Christ. He didn't correct somebody whenever they came to that conclusion. He actually affirmed it. said, yeah, I'm him. The woman at the well, she said, are you the one we're looking for? He's like, I'm he. It's me. However, whenever he was talking to people, he never claimed that title for himself. You know how many times Jesus referred to himself as the Son of God? Zero-ish, I was telling the first service, there's one account in, in John chapter 10 where Jesus is having a conversation with the Pharisees. They're challenging him. They're like, hey, who, who are you to do all these miracles? And he says, I and the Father are one. And if you know the story, the, the Pharisees bend over and they start gathering up rocks and they're ready to kill him because he claimed to be equal with God. And he says, do you, are you going to stone me because I said I'm the son of God? He never actually said he was the son of God. He alluded to it, but nonetheless, it's kind of an ish, but zero times. I mean, it's just one of those things that's kind of confounding whenever you read the New Testament and you're, you're kind of watching the nation of Israel. They're watching and they're waiting for Jesus, the Messiah. They're, they don't know who it is, but they're looking for the one who was foretold that was going to come and pull them out of bondage. It just seems like that he would stand up and go, hey, here I am, but he didn't do that. He was kind of cryptic about it, honestly. Now, why was Jesus being so cagey about who he was? Now, here's what's super interesting to me. He didn't claim publicly. He didn't call himself the Son of God. He didn't call himself the Messiah. But over 78 times, he calls himself the Son of Man. Why? What's, I mean, I don't, know, I don't know if that means anything to you, but whenever I read that, I'm like, well, what's, what's all that stuff about? Why are we being so elusive about this? Just come out and say it. But it's interesting to note that he doesn't claim to be the Christ, 
publicly. He doesn't claim to be the Son of God publicly, but he up front, over and over and over again, 78 times, claims to be the Son of Man. Why? Have you ever wondered why Jesus, whenever he's casting out demons and they start telling everybody who he is, he tells them to be quiet? Luke chapter 4, verse 41, And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. Have you ever wondered why Jesus silenced his disciples from telling everybody that he was the Son of God, that he was the Messiah? On one occasion, they were at Caesarea Philippi, and Jesus was kind of stirring the fire, right? He was, he was stirring the soup, and he asked his disciples, hey, who do people say that I am? Again, about his identity. And his disciples say, oh, some people say that you're John the Baptist, come back from the dead, you're one of the prophets. And Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And Peter wisely says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he says, blessed are you, Simon. Because flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my Father in heaven. Now listen, this is the interesting thing about that. Verse 20, Matthew chapter 16. Say there in chapter 13, but I'll just read this one verse to you. Then Jesus strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. I thought we were supposed to evangelize people. Right? It's, this, this is confusing to me as I'm a, a young believer and I'm looking through the scriptures and like, why is Jesus being so cagey about who he is. Now, the disciples, if you're asking that question this morning, and I hope you are, you're in good company because the disciples were wondering the same thing. So in, in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus, this is a chapter that compiles several of Jesus' parables. And he, whenever he would teach, he would teach in riddles. And there's a principle in this that I want to dig into this morning. And in, in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus' disciples, it's almost like there's this exasperation in their tone as they ask him this question. They're like, what's going on here? Why are you teaching the, the, everybody in parables and being so cagey about who you are? It says in verse 10, Then the disciples came to Jesus. Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Stress on the word given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and, to the, to, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. Say the word dull. That's important. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear, for truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and hear what you hear and did not hear it. Okay, what's going on here? Here's what I want you to understand what Jesus is doing with his disciples. He's right in the middle of a parable. He's just finished teaching the parable of the sower. If you remember this parable, it is uh, the interpretation is given later on in, in the passage 
But, the, but basically what Jesus is doing, he said, hey, the sower is the son of man, and he's sowing the word of God wherever he goes. And some of that seed that he's sowing falls on hard ground, the road, and the birds of the air come and they take it away. Some of it falls on shallow soil and the sun, the trials and tribulations, right? Of the, the hardships that we go through scorch that seed because it has no root and it withers. Some of it fall in the, in the weeds and the thorns and the cares of this life choke it away. Do you care about your life more than you do about the kingdom, right? And he says, but some of that seed falls on good soil. It springs up. It bears fruit. And then Jesus' disciples ask him this question, Why, what's up with all the parables? Now, here's what I want you to see. Jesus, as he's talking to his disciples and answering that question, is unpacking for them a very important principle in the kingdom, and it's the principle of pursuit. This is the principle in a nutshell. If you pursue God, you're going to find him. Promise you. Jesus said this same principle many different ways. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek. And you will find, knock, the door will be open to you. There is this reality in the kingdom of heaven that if you will reach for God, you will come up with Him. You will connect to Him. However, the opposite is true too. If you don't reach, if you do not pursue Him, it isn't just that you won't find Him, you will actually develop a proclivity for not finding Him. You will develop a hardness of heart a dull heart. You'll have eyes, but you won't be able to perceive the things of the Spirit. You'll have ears, you won't be able to hear the revelation of the kingdom, right? There is a spiritual blindness and a spiritual deafness that will fall upon your life, and you're going to have to break out of that supernaturally in order to lay hold of the kingdom that you, that you long for within your heart. Now, so this is what's going on with Jesus being cagey. God is looking for pursuit from you. He is in hot pursuit of us. Are we hiding behind closed doors and closed windows? Or are we presenting ourselves to Him to be found by the Son of Man? And so let's get back to this title, the Son of Man. I want to dig into that. So what is the significance of this title? And this is what I believe. It's the key to unlocking an Old Testament prophecy in Daniel chapter 7. So turn over to Jan Daniel chapter 7. There's a prophecy here about the Son of Man. And I believe that as Jesus went around 78 times, he starts talking about the Son of Man. He teaches about the Son of Man. He claims to be the Son of Man. He is pointing the reader back to this passage for a reason. There's a message here for you and for me today. Okay? And so let me just set this up because it's kind of a long passage. And for time's sake, let me give you the first part because it's not the focal point. Daniel, the prophet, is having a prophetic dream in the middle of the night. It's a weird dream. He sees the sea, and out of the sea come these monsters. There's four beasts that come out of the sea. Again, don't focus on the beasts. That's not the point of this chapter. It's important. There's information there, but it's leading you to something. Okay, So we're not going to spend a lot of time on it. The first beast is the kingdom of Babylon. The second beast is the, is the Medo-Persian Empire. The third is the Greece Empire. And the fourth is Rome, which is... Who is holding Israel in bondage whenever Jesus comes on the scene? These four beasts come out of the sea, and then all of a sudden, Daniel, in this prophetic dream, the scene shifts. 
and he sees heaven opened up, and he sees the throne room of God. That's where we're going to start reading in verse 9. Daniel 7, verse 9. As I looked, thrones were placed. And the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him, and thousands of thousands served him. And 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. And the court sat in judgment and books were opened. This is the throne room of God. Daniel sees the Ancient of Days and the myriads of created beings around the Ancient of Days. Verse 11, I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. That was one of the beasts. And as I looked, the beast was killed. And its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. And for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away. But their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Verse 13. Then I saw in the night visions, again, the throne room of God. And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. Now, here's what you, I, w- I want you to see this, okay? What Daniel is seeing and what he's writing down in his scroll would have been perplexing to a Jew because their, their theology was encompassed when a, with a monotheistic deity. Behold, Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And all of a sudden, Daniel sees the Ancient of Days very clearly distinct. And then there's this guy, the Son of Man, riding on the clouds. Now, in antiquity, in literature, in, in, in ancient days, if you were in Greek mythology, Roman mythology, if you see a guy riding on clouds, it's a deity. It's a god. And what, what Daniel is presenting, what's being poured out into Revelation prophetically, is that there are two gods in heaven. Now... The doctrine of the Trinity is not a New Testament thing. This is the clearest picture of a God that is, there's three in one, but in this specific passage, you see a clear picture of two differentiations. Ancient of days, the Father, the Creator God, Yahweh, the one who revealed Himself to Moses in the burning bush, He's there. And Daniel is seeing, and that's for Daniel, that's his context and his paradigm of who God is. It's the Ancient of Days. But then there's this other guy who rolls on the scene and is presented to the Ancient of Days. And listen to what is said about him. Verse 14. And to him, the Son of Man, he's the subject here, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that, w- that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and His kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. This is the scene that Daniel sees. Now, I want you to go back to Jesus. Walking around Israel in the Gospels, and 78 times everywhere that He goes, He starts talking about the Son of Man. The Son of Man is not God the Father. The Son of Man is a different God altogether, but still the same God. Very clear picture of the different identities in the Trinity. 
in this, in this case, father and son. And as Jesus is talking about the Son of Man, where it's told to us that He will inherit the nations, that all peoples will serve Him, that He will have dominion and He will have a kingdom that will last forever. And as Jesus is preaching everywhere that He goes, He starts talking about the Son of Man. And He would say things like, you remember the, the paralytic that was healed? They opened up, they tore the roof open. Jesus was in the house teaching. They lowered the paralytic down. And Jesus said, hey, sir, your sins are forgiven. And the, the Pharisees that are there, they get kind of a little butthurt over that whole saying. And they're like, what, who's this guy to, heal, heal, or to forgive sins? And Jesus, it says, perceiving their thoughts, he knew what they were thinking. He turned to the paralytic, and listen to what Jesus says. I'm going to read this to you. Matthew 9, verse 6. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed and go home. See, what Jesus was doing whenever he was talking about the Son of Man was he was talking about the authority that he had as the Son of God, as the Christ, as the Messiah. He was talking about the kingdom that he was king of. And he was revealing it in cryptic ways. It was kind of mysterious. He was definitely putting the cookies on the top shelf because he wants to make us reach a little bit. It's all about pursuit. He wants us to open the door, open the windows, welcome him in. As Jesus is talking about the Son of Man, the thing that I want you to understand is this is a big deal. As he's talking about the Son of Man, he's talking about his, his authority. And not just his authority, his exalted status. He's not just some man. He's not a man. He is the Son of Man that was being referenced in Daniel chapter 7, and that guy is God. And so as Jesus was claiming this, this is what I would submit to you. Him claiming this title was a big deal, so much a big deal, it's, got, it's what got him killed. Okay, so I want to read you Matthew chapter 26. This is the night whenever Jesus was betrayed and he went on trial, middle of the night. Caiaphas, the high priest, is there questioning him. They're bringing all kinds of false uh, witnesses, and they're you know, accusing Jesus of doing a whole bunch of stuff that he didn't do, and then the things that he did do, they couldn't prove that you know, he claimed to be God. There's a little cat and mouse game going on here, and finally Caiaphas gets a little bit sick of it. It says in verse 63, but Jesus remained silent during all these accusations. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, you've said so. But I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the power and coming in the clouds of heaven. And then the high priest tore his robes and said, he has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. See, it wasn't just Jesus that knew who the Son of Man was. He finally helped everybody connect the dots and go, hey, that guy that Daniel was talking about, this is me. You're going to see me riding in the clouds and seated at the right hand of the power in heaven, the Ancient of Days, Yahweh, the one that we serve. And that is what led him to the cross. As a matter of fact, it isn't, it isn't just Jesus who got killed by claiming this title. It was what got the first Christian martyr killed, Stephen, in Acts chapter 7. You remember the story? 
Stephen is out, he's performing miracles, preaching the kingdom, leading people to Jesus right and left. He gets in an argument with some Jews and he starts talking to them about their rebellion against God all throughout their history. Talks to them about how they've accused Jesus and they get really mad and they, they start, this brawl starts. And in the middle of this brawl, they're, they're picking up stones, they're getting ready to kill him. And in the middle of this, this ruckus, it says in Acts chapter 7, verse 56, And Stephen said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But the people, the crowd that were around him, cried out with a loud voice, and they stopped up their ears and rushed together at him. I cannot emphasize enough how important it is for you to have a heart that's open and ready to receive the truth of who Jesus is. The moment that we stop up our ears and we close our eyes, we bury our heads in the sand, we put this dullness over our heart that even whenever Stephen is standing in our midst and he calculated, in a calculated way, he recounts everything that they needed to hear and they can see that he's doing miracles. That's not enough. Okay, so that's the, the significance. But the thing that I want you to see in Daniel chapter 7, if we could focus on the end of this, we haven't actually gotten to the point of why Jesus was pointing back to the Son of Man and this prophecy of Daniel's. He was identifying who he was, that was one, but there's also a message from this prophecy that we haven't gotten to. See, Daniel, as he's seeing this prophecy and these monsters coming out of the sea and he sees the Ancient of Days, I cannot imagine how overwhelmed you would be, but it messed him up a little bit. As a matter of fact, it goes on to say in verse 15, if you'll pick up there with me, This is the understatement of the Bible right here. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious. And the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are four kings who will rise out of the earth. Listen to verse 18. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever, and ever. Now what Daniel has seen is he's seen these empires rise out of the sea, and these are empires that oppressed Israel. And as they oppressed Israel, I'm sure that every Israelite was wondering, how can we ever survive this oppression? And this prophecy from Daniel comes forward to the whole nation, and is reminding them, hey, all of these nations and empires will be killed. They will be cut off. And then the Son of Man will come, and He will be given dominion and a kingdom. And listen, if you're a saint of the Most High, you will possess that kingdom forever and ever and ever. Now, here's my question for you today. Are you occupying the kingdom that He purchased for you? Are you possessing the authority that he's bequeathed to you and I? Are you walking in his kingdom power? 
Are you walking in his kingdom, uh, all of the provision that he has for you? Listen, the way that you walk in that is that you pledge your loyalty to the king. You can't get to the kingdom without going, without going through the king. But there's even some of us that have been in this kingdom thing for a while that we're settling for less than what God has purchased for us. Instead of thriving in an abundant life that Jesus has come to give you and I, we're just surviving. We're just trying to make it through the day. We're just trying to do the next thing. And that's not the life that God's called you to live. See, this kingdom is important. The message of the kingdom became Jesus' primary message as he preached all throughout the Gospels. He was linking, he was intentionally linking himself to this prophecy because every Israelite would have, would have known, son of man, what, I mean, what's he saying? There's a little bit of crypticness going on there. It's like, is he talking about, I am a son of man, I'm, I'm Joseph's son, or is he talking about he's the son of man that Daniel was talking about? Whoa, which one is it? And so as he was linking himself to this prophecy, he was also linking himself to the message of this prophecy, and it's the message of the kingdom. And everywhere that Jesus went, he would preach the kingdom. As he came out of the Jordan, he was baptized in the Jordan River. The Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. The heavens open. The Father, again, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all in one picture. The Father says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus out of that moment, it says in Scripture, with the power of the Holy Spirit, preaching the kingdom of heaven. Repent, for the kingdom is near. It's at hand. What that word means in the Greek is it's so close, you could reach out and touch it. It's that close to you and me. That was the message that Jesus preached everywhere that he went. And so I I had you start in, in Matthew chapter 13. Jump back over there for a second, because... I said this chapter is basically, it's a compilement of parables that Jesus would teach about the kingdom. These are the kingdom parables that Matthew wrote down. And I want to read two of these parables this morning. Because this is the primary message that Jesus came to preach. Look at verse 44. It's short, so catch it. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. Now, remember, the kingdom is like the treasure. Okay? The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now, here's the point of the parable. The kingdom is worth you losing everything in your life for. It's a worthy trade. Sell out. Go all in. Lose it all for the king and his kingdom. That's the point of the parable. Now it goes on. Look at the very next verse, 45. This is a different parable. So kind of wipe the slate clean because he's going to set up a different metaphor for you. Verse 45. Again, this is Jesus speaking. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant. Now, the kingdom isn't the treasure in this parable. The kingdom is the merchant. Okay? The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Here's the point of the parable. You are worth the king selling everything that he has for. 
Philippians chapter 2 tells us that Jesus did not consider equality with God something to hold on to. He gave it up and he stepped down and became a man. And a man obedient to the point of taking death upon himself, a criminal's death, on a cross. See, Jesus is not asking you to do anything he hasn't already done. He considers you and me of such great value that it was worth him giving up his kingdom for. To come be the, the, the sacrificial lamb that was torn apart. Torn to pieces for your atonement so that we could step into the kingdom. And what he's asking of you and asking of me is that we would lay it all down for him. That everything in our life would become secondary to his lordship in our lives. Now this is the reality. I told you I rebelled a little bit whenever I was growing. Not a little bit. It was a lot. Okay. Let's just be honest. We're in church. And I was a heathen. I, I, I was living a rebellious lifestyle And I was experiencing all of the pain that that rebellious lifestyle brought. And I can remember um, whenever I was 18 years old, I graduated from high school, and somebody had gifted me a Bible. And I remember opening it, I'm like, what am I going to do with this? But my mom and dad, you know, were praying for me. Like I said, I grew up in in a good church. And all their friends were praying for me. I was kind of the buzz around our church. And so this lady gives me this Bible, and I remember opening the Bible, and I was just kind of like, I don't know what I'm going to do with this, and I threw it in my closet. Well, one night, I was starting to experience a whole bunch of consequences all at once. It, it almost seems like God was setting me up for something. And I remember one night I came in um, from, from a party, and I had gotten super drunk and gotten in a huge fight. And uh, I can remember, I, had, I, was just, I was at my, my wit's end, honestly. I was super desperate. I was tired of disappointing my parents. I knew that I had to do something different with my life. I knew that the the road that I was on was going to lead me to a place. I was either going to die or go to jail. I just knew that. And I remember coming home that night, and I just, I I remember praying some feeble prayer, and I grabbed that Bible, and I just opened it up, and and, and the, the, the verse that my eyes fell to were Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever, lo- whoever would save his life must lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And I can remember just as I, I, I read that and it, it hit my heart. My heart was hard. It was start, the, the callous that had been built up from me rejecting God was starting to crack open because of the pain I was experiencing. And I can remember just being frustrated with that passage. It's like, I, I don't even understand what that means. What are you asking What are you asking of me? And just so clearly, the Holy Spirit communicated two things to me very, very clearly to me. Number one, you need to get rid of your friends. And number two, you need to give me your life. You go all in. I want it all. He didn't, I mean, Jesus is not shy about presenting to you and me what he's asking. He's asking for everything because he's given everything. And that's, that night, as I, I, I kind of let that kind of hit my heart, I remember just kind of getting to this place where I was like, okay, God, I don't know how to do that, but I want to. And that's the prayer that changed my life. Now, as, as you and I are here today and we're talking about this, the question that I want to ask you again, that I asked you from the beginning, 
Who are you looking for? Because the Son of Man is in hot pursuit of you. Are you presenting yourself to Him to be found? Are you looking for Him too? Or are you hiding? Now I ask you to stand with me this morning. I want to invite the worship team to go ahead and come on up. Altar ministry team, you can go ahead and come on down front. If you have your communion elements, if you'll go ahead and get those ready, we're going to take communion. If you'll go ahead and get that wafer out and open up your juice. And then just close your eyes for a second. Take that wafer and just hold it up and close your eyes. Just start concentrating on the Lord. Focus on Him. There is a merchant who is looking for you today. You are that pearl of great value. And as Jesus, we hold these elements in our hand, this bread, it represents the body of Christ that was broken, literally broken for you, for your provision, for your healing, everything that you need today, if you'll take that bread. This juice represents the blood of Jesus that was poured out for you. For a new covenant. For your forgiveness. To not just cover up your sin, but to completely wash it away. If you would take that juice. And Father, we just receive these elements and we just thank you, God. And I just pray that if there's anybody who's here today that needs to surrender all, just like the parable that we just read that they're, they're looking and they're searching and all of a sudden they've stumbled upon this treasure. Lord, we're acknowledging today you're that treasure. Would you give them the courage to trust everything that they have to possess you, King Jesus, and the King that you've come to give us. In Jesus' name, amen.